2020 was a very challenging year for everyone in one way or another, but a beacon of light for many people was finding happiness in video games. Now, gaming has always been an excellent way to pass the time alone, have some laughs with friends, or get a micro dose of escapism every day. But in 2020, many new or lapsed gamers found their way back. Now, there were a few delays, but mostly everything that was going to come out this year did eventually come out, and the likely effects of this year will be seen down the road with less releases in a year or two from now. Keeping the focus on the past 365 days, these were the best games that came out as a full release in 2020. Now, before going any further, it's important to note two things. First, this list is only considering the games that we played. And second, these are solely based on our taste of games. Everyone's best of list in music, movies, books, food, video games, and anything else will also be very different. Warning, there will be light spoilers ahead and will mostly be limited to early portions of the game, but will be as limited as they can be. But if you don't want anything spoiled, then check out the timestamps in the description if you want to skip over a certain game. Now, having said that, let's begin in no particular order with our nominees. Easily one of the biggest stories of this year in gaming was the gargantuan success early on with Animal Crossing New Horizons. And as of the end of September, it has managed to sell over 26 million copies, making it the second best-selling game on the Switch, which is an incredible feat considering that it was only released in March. Although it seems like many people only give credit to the game due to the circumstances of the year, Animal Crossing New Horizons is the formula of life simulators refined perfectly. It understands the perfect balance between dangling carrots and giving the player too much all at once. New Horizons made some great additions to the genre by shepherding players brilliantly. The inclusion of the Nook phone kept all of your goals in one convenient place that made it very easy to track progress and encourage the player to complete tasks. For the first month, I was bitten by the Animal Crossing bug and checked into the island on a daily basis, making sure that I bought my turnips at the best possible prices. And it was a pleasure to be on the island, and it was truly a great form of escapism thanks to the constant jobs that the game asked you to juggle, as well as the near-perfect musical score. Chopping down wood and picking weeds has never felt so relaxing. Like most, Animal Crossing New Horizons dug its hooks in, but unlike other games on this list, the fire burned too hot and faded out quickly. Nintendo really had a great chance to keep many of their players invested with their first event that dropped for Bunny Day or Easter. Instead, it felt like a missed opportunity that led many to believe that the limited in-game events would not be enough to warrant daily check-ins. While trying to dig up fossils, find new bugs, or catch interesting fish, the game would constantly throw roadblocks in the form of easter eggs. Now, controls were very good, but they did lack the precision that would have gone a long way. When I'm trying to catch a rare fish that only shows up once during the day, and the game casts my rod in the slightly wrong direction, scaring the fish away and causing frustration in an otherwise peaceful game. 
The other major issue that plagued Animal Crossing was the inability to have more than one island on the Switch, which was likely in place to prevent exploiting the economic systems. Now luckily, this wasn't an issue for myself as there was only one Animal Crossing user in my household, but I can understand the frustration when a family or a couple is trying to play this game together but are all unable to experience the game as it really should be unless multiple Switch consoles are purchased. Next game on the list is Last of Us Part 2. Obviously, being separated by 7 years, The Last of Us Part 2 is vastly superior to the original in almost every facet of the game. The visuals are stunning, and playing the sequel with 4K HDR is one of the best looking console games to date. Stealth is now an integral part of each encounter, with every combat scenario having areas that are specifically designed for it. It also wouldn't be a Naughty Dog game without all the small details that are very minor but make all the difference for immersion, including the crafting bench with all the animations that it has, or when you're looking at a map and it gets updated in real time to eliminate backtracking, or the subtle hints that the characters will speak to give you an idea of what you need to do or what you've already done, or even the simplicity of listening in on conversations in the world that sound real and legitimate. The only area that I felt the sequel underperformed compared to the original was the story, and while excellent, it just wasn't able to leave the same impression on me that the first one did. Now, this is not a problem that is unique to The Last of Us, as most sequels are never able to meet or exceed the standards set by the original. The latest game from Neil Druckmann and the rest of the team at Naughty Dog is easily one of the most divisive games of the year. Now, Naughty Dog has always had an audience that is divided on their games, with some people praising Uncharted for its coming-of-age story or its excellent mechanics that are easily taken for granted. The division was cranked up to 14 when the PlayStation exclusive approached one of their most beloved characters as they did and forced you to play as Abby who we know nothing about and at first you feel the same emotions that Ellie should be feeling but the more we learn about Abby's backstory the more it makes sense and the more that Naughty Dog should be commended for taking risks with one of their most revered series on PlayStation. Now not only was this a departure from what people wanted but I think the risk actually worked. The Last of Us Part 2 shines a light on the human condition even though at certain times it could be a little heavy handed and obvious what Naughty Dog is trying to say. There hasn't been a game in my memory where you are forced to take control of the antagonist, someone who you despise and hate so much. Now what The Last of Us 2 is trying to tell us is that it all depends on perspective and there was a very good reason for titling the game Part 2 and not The Last of Us 2. The Last of Us Part 2 is essentially two games with two very different perspectives taking around 30 hours and a game with this high level of polish and care could have easily been divided into two full price games. The way that the game is split up into different perspectives allows the team at Naughty Dog to tell the plot in very interesting ways by sometimes showing us a little tidbit much later in the timeline and then reversely filling it in paying off in many instances. Although The Last of Us Part 2 didn't leave the same impression on me that the first one did, it carved out its own niche in my video gaming memory by doing something very worthy of a sequel in the first place. Now, 
This isn't to say that The Last of Us 2 is perfect because it isn't. The story drags on for far too long in many areas and sometimes the messages Naughty Dog tries to convey are just a little too obvious and the controls of the game can be frustrating at times. However, these are minor gripes that don't take away the shine from the final product. The growth that Naughty Dog has displayed over the past decade is quite impressive. The first Last of Us showed a darker side of the studio, Uncharted 4 showed us the ability that the studio has to mature with their characters, giving them a coming of age story, and with The Last of Us Part 2, Naughty Dog has displayed their ability to take more risks and not play it safe as they could have with another journey between Joel and Ellie just running more errands. This growth that has been accelerated during the PS4 generation has me very excited for what they are about to do next. Our next game on the list is Ori and the Will of the Wisps. One of the studios that was best prepared for a pandemic is Moon Studios, the team behind the beautiful, heartfelt, and challenging Ori series. Moon Studios is composed of people who work remotely from around the world, and that's how the studio was formed. And one of my personal choices as best game of the past generation was Ori and the Blind Forest. We all know that the Xbox One generation missed the mark a little, and without doing a deep dive of why the Xbox One underperformed, one of the major reasons was the lack of exclusives, and this made great exclusive games all the more noticeable, such as Ori and the Blind Forest. In 2015, Moon Studios released Ori and the Blind Forest, and this is impressive because Moon Studios was only formed in 2010, and creating such a fantastic experience on their first video game is a very impressive feat. It was such a pleasant surprise for a litany of reasons. The art style and the visuals popped, causing Ori to stick out in a very crowded market filled with Metroidvanias. Ori had tight, precise controls, an easy to play but hard to master gameplay, but most importantly, Ori had heart. We scored Ori in the Will of the Wisps a 90% with technical hiccups holding it back from being a lock for Game of the Year. And here's what we said in our review. The Will of the Wisps was one of my most anticipated games of this year and this can sometimes have a negative effect when expectations don't meet reality. Moon Studios have created a masterpiece by delivering a true sequel by keeping the soul of the game and improving upon almost every aspect in it. Even if some ideas do feel borrowed from some of the best in the genre, technical issues do keep this game from being perfect. It's not a surprise that Ori was one of my top games from last generation because other games on that list included Dead Cells and Hollow Knight, and these are two games from the genre that are in the upper echelon of quality. And apparently, Moon Studios also noticed the high bar set by these games as Ori and the Will of the Wisps borrowed one of the more hated aspects of Hollow Knight, which was the cartographer, the feature that was divisive, but it was a slight surprise to see the team at Moon Studio use an idea that wasn't something that they put their own spin on. Fans would have been very pleased with just more Ori with new areas and new enemies, but Moon Studios went a little further with a completely new story, which was still touching, new environments, new powers, and a new leveling system, and the game was pleasantly longer, but didn't overstay its welcome. And trying to meet the heartfelt nature of the first was a far bridge to cross, but Moon Studios did manage to imbue a sentimental tone to the sequel as well. 
I wasn't able to find an Xbox Series X as of yet, but from what I've read, Ori and the Will of the Wisps runs flawlessly, and the team at Moon Studios have updated the game to take advantage of the power of the new generation. The new update now allows you to play Ori in 4K with a locked 120 FPS and HDR, and if you don't have a TV capable of 120 just yet, then they've also added another mode, the Super Sample 6K at 60 FPS output at 4K, which according to the studio, feels like playing printed concept art. When a game is anticipated like Ori and the Will of the Wisps was for me in 2020, that can make it harder for the game to succeed. However, the team at Moon Studios managed to meet my expectations. I just wish I could have experienced the game how it truly should have been with these new improvements on the Xbox Series X. And when I can finally find an Xbox Series X, the first game that I will likely play will be Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which says a lot for a game that has already been completed. The next game on our list is Hades. One of the biggest things to hit the Nintendo Switch this year was the console exclusivity for Supergiant and their indie darling Hades. Now, this game is a lot of fun for a multitude of reasons and you are able to enjoy Hades for one reason or for all of them. It's the inky, cel-shaded art style, the satisfying combat, and the engaging mythological story all work together in harmony with one another, and it has a true sign of a good game or at least an addicting game where you just want to do one more run. How well Hades blends genres of dungeon calling with roguelikes and weaves an extremely interesting mythological story is a testament to the talent at Supergiant Games and the way in which the storyline becomes your main motivation for pushing deeper for more answers feels fresh in a very crowded genre. The story is original and engaging as you play as Zagreus, the unknown son of Hades who is the god of death and you are tired of living in hell. And on your many attempts to escape and forge your own path, you encounter a very deep storyline and many other gods and deities who are all very well written as they help flesh out the story. And there is also a layer of humor to the game about escaping hell which goes a long way. And even after playing the game for 40 plus hours, you're still encountering new dialogue and storylines as they are slowly being unraveled. Of course, this fantastic and original take on mythology wouldn't mean anything if it wasn't for amazing controls and combat, and playing on the Nintendo Switch feels excellent on the Pro Controller and much more than serviceable in handheld. Now, the controls are mapped in a very similar way to how Diablo 3 was ported to controller in a near-perfect way, and the superb controls are accentuated by the in-game combat and how well it's balanced, which is likely a testament to the refinement that this game has seen since it entered early access in late 2018. You could use any of the weapons in the game from the Shield of Chaos or the Eternal Spear or even the Adamant Rail and still have a very deep and engaging run. And in a similar way to how Dead Cells started fresh by giving you different weapons and upgrades every run, Hades goes down a similar path. And the one big difference is that you have somewhat of a choice in the matter, similar to how Zagreus has decided to make his own choices. Now, depending on who you're listening to about this game, Everyone has a different weapon of choice, and this is part of how the game excels in its field. There is no overpowered weapon or build. They are all left up to the choices that the player makes with them during each run. The best part about Hades is how you keep getting new narrative beats after each run instead of just making it farther every time. The world around you is reactive as dialogue is context-sensitive based on your previous runs. 
The usual fare of roguelikes is the enticement of making it slightly farther every time, which sometimes can get a little stale, and Hades instead keeps enticing the player not only with getting farther or new weapons, but with learning more about the world that they have created unlike traditional roguelikes. Without a doubt, Hades is one of the best roguelikes in a while that is cut from the same cloth that Dead Cells was when it came out of early access. And even if you don't like rogues, the dungeon crawling is good enough to warrant playing. And most importantly, if you have any interest in mythology, then Hades gives it a fresh spin. Our final game on the list is Astro's Playroom. Astro's Playroom was easily one of the most pleasant surprises of the year for a multitude of reasons, and obviously, the year needed bright and cheery characters, but it was also a free game that was included on the PlayStation 5, and on top of all of that, the PlayStation nostalgia that Team Asobi packed into this short experience provided a large dose of comfort food in the digital form. And sometimes a game doesn't need to reinvent the wheel with mechanics or push the limits with storytelling like some of the other nominees on this list. This is exactly where Astro's Playroom excels. It hits all the right notes that it needs to, and when Astro's Playroom was announced, it wasn't given much credit for anything other than likely being a fun tech demo, displaying the innovation of the DualSense. Now, Astro's Playroom is much more than just a tech demo, in my opinion. At around five or six hours to complete, Astro outgrew what can be expected of a demo in all areas of the game. As a platformer, Astro handles great and there is enough assistance to make hard jumps or movements challenging but possible. And on the audio level, every effect in the game sounds excellent depending on if you're walking on sand or ice or if rain's hitting the umbrella, but it's the original score that shines. The songs are catchy throughout the game and creatively get in sync with the level, such as one of the standout tracks from SSD Speedway. In our review of Astro's Playroom, we scored the game high and here is what we said about the game. If you have a PS5, then you already own the game and you should absolutely play this game if you were around for any of the previous generations of PlayStation. If you've been around since the very first PlayStation, then this game is now a requirement. It will leave you with such a smile on your face and a warm fuzzy feeling the entire time as you remember some of the best moments of gaming from the past 26 years with Sony. If this game costs money, I would still recommend it just as much. Launch titles for both the next-gen consoles were somewhat slim, but having a title like Astro's Playroom packed in with the PlayStation 5 alleviated some of the pressure for exclusive launch titles, and it was free. Astro's Playroom had delighting moments around every corner and for every gamer, no matter what your tastes are. The hope is that the next release from Team Asobi will be a continuation of the studio's trajectory from the Playroom to Astrobot Rescue Mission and now to Astro's Playroom. And realistically, Astro's Playroom is not strong enough to win Game of the Year, but it did warrant enough to mention when discussing the best games of 2020 and if there was an award for most pleasant surprise, it would win. When this list started to come together, it was unclear which game would emerge from the fantastic list of nominees. And while The Last of Us Part 2 needs to be commended for the bold risks that the story took and obviously the excellence in design, when comparing it to Hades, Supergiant just felt like it crafted together a tighter product from beginning to end. And the emphasis on a more tightly crafted game is amazing, considering that Hades is a roguelike and not a scripted narrative experience.
From the excellence in combat, to the controls, to the audio design, to the reactive dialogue in the original mythological story, or the art style, Supergiant Games have created an excellent product from edge to edge at a fantastic value proposition. The small independent team from San Francisco are clearly establishing themselves as titans of the indie game scene. That's all for the show this week. Congratulations to Hades, every other game on this list, and any other game that is on your list of the best games of the year. The great thing about gaming is that there is no right or wrong answer, as just like in other forms of art, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. As always, thank you for listening. Please consider subscribing if you haven't already or leaving a positive review. And on that note, please remember to be nice to your fellow gamer, but more importantly, be nice to your fellow human. Be nice to your fellow human.